but I am ready to preach. Please turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. 1 Corinthians 15, 12. While you're getting the lay of the land there, finding that in uh, Bible, I'll share a little bit about it and then we'll expound upon it. This is God's word. I want to tell you this morning that actions follow belief. Right actions may be linked to right belief about God, and wrong actions may be linked to wrong belief about God. This is the Corinthian problem in the very young church in the AD 50s. The Apostle Paul writes to this church at Corinth, and we're going to explore how this wrong belief that they had about something central to the gospel message of Christianity, about how this wrong belief had implications. Implications the Apostle Paul was actually willing to explore with the church. He didn't just tell them to be quiet. He actually tried to explore these implications with them. And in exploring them, he tried to help them understand how these implications affected their lives practically and why they should have right belief, which would, in effect, lead to right action. And so that's exactly the posture we want to have as we lean into uh, this text this morning and uh, read it. So, so listen with fresh ears and read it with fresh eyes, see it with fresh eyes. This is what it says, Rome, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. Verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. May God bless the reading of his word and administer grace into its hearers. Perhaps the Corinthians assumed the language of the resurrection was used by Christians to refer to an improvement in one's spiritual status in this life or post-mortem in their existence as disembodied souls. Pythagoreans had more than a theorem. They held to the notion that the soul being released from the body at death with good souls flying to the upper realms was what would happen when we died. Similarly, Plutarch saw the soul attaining the realm of the gods by freeing itself from the attachment to the senses and becoming pure, fleshless, and undefiled. Like the hedonists of the Greco-Roman world, they may have believed that the body and soul cease to exist after death. And so that may have led them to live it up for the day or at least balance pleasure with intended consequences. Or they may have had Plato's view of the body and the soul where the soul, as previously intimated, was treasured and good, but the body was bad. It was like the soul was trapped in this cage. And so when we got freed from this body, then all would be good. 
that sort of thought made its way into early Christianity, but it's not biblical Christianity. We will not be disembodied souls. And this body is not to be viewed with disdain or discredit. Now, it's true we have problems with these bodies, and we'll get into that. It's true some of us suffer from image issues, and some of us, in fact, live to not really enjoy being in this earthen tent or this shell, as it's sometimes called, biblically called, an earthen tent. But we cannot go to the extreme, I'm going to argue this morning, of denying a bodily resurrection. Because to deny that, well, there, there's implications when we deny that. And there are seven of them mentioned in this passage. And I want to try to break that down for you today. Because if you will track the miracle of the resurrection with heartfelt and spirit-led and sincere belief in it, I believe this belief will enrich your life and lead you to writer action because you'll have a writer view, a truer view about what God has said and who God is. So we can see within this text really the contours of these seven implications that I'll go through quickly. And we can see them with the word if. I'm going to try to point them out to you just in a quick, a quick rolling read through. Look at verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. In verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, you see the conditional if. And then in verse 15, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify that he raised him. If that is not true, Verse 16, if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are to be pitied. You see the ifs. Now, they don't exactly correlate with my points, but there's seven ifs and there's seven points in the text. And I think those implications, those seven implications, if we wrote them quickly, I think you'll see the Apostle Paul takes our concerns seriously and is really, really willing, as he's being led along by the Spirit, to indulge in what that might look like and then to show us the way. Not only the belief, not only the what, but the why behind the what. I always like to know why I'm doing what I'm doing. I don't just like to know what to do. I like to know why. And it's not, that, it's not here that, that the apostle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, just says, you must believe the resurrection. He gives you implications as to what it's going to look like if you don't, what the infrastructure of the Christian faith looks like if you don't. So seven points, and I'll move through them quickly in the interest of time. The first one in this text is in verse 13. If you don't believe that you as Christians will see bodily resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If we can't be raised, then Christ wasn't. Four times in this passage, you get something like this, not even or has not been or whom he did not raise or if Christ has not been raised, right here in verses 12 to 19. The apostle feels strongly that if you can't be assured of your resurrection, then you shouldn't be assured of Christ's resurrection. He links them in his argumentation. He does not separate them. Stephen Um, a pastor, says, What's surprising is that the amount of evidence for the resurrection is substantial, actually. Even though some renowned atheists in our day have acknowledged this, we still struggle to believe it. Anthony Flew, one of the most respected atheistic philosophers within the last 50 years, claims that evidence for the resurrection is better than for claimed miracles in any other religion. It's outstandingly different in quality and quantity from the evidence offered for the occurrence of most other supposedly miraculous events. Flew became a theist, but he did not become a Christian. 
Though he thought the evidence was strong for the resurrection, he never actually personally embraced it that we know of. Even if one does not believe in the resurrection, one would want it to be true. If there is a concern for justice and good stewardship of the environment and other great causes in this physical world, then believing in the resurrection provides a context proper for the understanding and desiring a greater or a better world. If this life is all that there is, what incentive or motivation would one have to try to work for greater or a better world? Theologian Wright said this, the message of the resurrection is that this world matters. Believing in the resurrection supports an individual who wants to stand up for that which is right and be the best possible steward he can be, Tim Keller said in the, in the Reason for God. George Grant, an author and columnist for World Radio, quoted John MacArthur and Tim Keller both this week, and this is how they said it. John MacArthur said, The resurrection is the pivot on which all Christianity turns and without which none of the other truths would much matter. Without the resurrection, Christianity would be so much wishful thinking, taking its place alongside all other human philosophies and religious speculation. Tim Keller asserted this, and I think it's a good rhyming phrase for us to hang to. He said, If Jesus rose from the dead then you have to accept all that he said. That's pretty good. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? I don't think he's excluding the middle in his argumentation. I just think, think he's simply saying that for consistency's sakes, either Christ is a reliable source for absolute truth or he is not. The issue on which everything hangs is not whether, like you like, whether or not you like Jesus' teaching, but whether or not he conquered the grave. Did he rise from the dead? And the first implication for you doubting that we will be resurrected is that the apostle says then there's no category for Jesus' own resurrection, bodily resurrection. The gospel, as it appears to us in 1 Corinthians 15, really the entire of the New Testament, is linking Jesus' death, burial, resurrection and then his appeared body, his ascending into heaven and promised return, it's linking that pattern of a glorious body with our glorious bodies. And I, I glean that from many places, but one place specifically that I glean it is Philippians 3. Here's, here's what it says in Philippians 3. Paul hopes that we will imitate him and keep our eyes on those who walk according to the example that we have for us. And he tells them that we shouldn't walk as enemies of the cross. And he tells us that we need to keep our mind on heavenly things. He says our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this in Philippians 3.21. Christ will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So he gives them his clinching hope for them and his unflinching belief is that our lowly body will be transformed much like the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. And so the apostles don't understand this miraculous hope as gobbledygook. And I would entertain this morning that we should not either. If we weren't raised, implication number one, Christ wasn't. And then implication number two through seven flows out from there. If Christ wasn't raised, then preaching is in vain. And I'm not talking about whether or not I'm riveting or I'm boring. I'm talking about the content of what I'm saying. The content. The kerygma, as it's been classically called from the Greek word. The message of the gospel. It's, it's, not, it's a sham if, in fact, Christ wasn't raised from the dead. Because... 
the message of this gospel that I'm pleading with you to receive and to live in light of hinges, the fulcrum of it is the resurrection. I mean, even in the language of this chapter, Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ resurrected. This was just last week. And then further in the chapter, you have appeared and ascended. So like the middle of those five words is resurrected. It is, it's, it's, the, it's central to everything. I mean, I can't make a parallel. I can make a lesser argument. Like it goes together like peanut butter and jelly does resurrection of the gospel. It goes, to, it goes together like chicken filet. I mean, it goes together like a hand in a glove. It goes together. To separate them, well, what God hath joined together, let man not separate. I mean, the resurrection goes with the gospel. And, and, and what Paul's arguing through these seven ifs is that, that they're connected in such a way that to abandon one is to abandon the other. And he says here, I think in no uncertain terms in chapter 15, verse 14, right here in the text in verse 14, that our preaching is empty. It is in vain. The content of our preaching, if we take resurrection out of the middle of the gospel, is to implode it. That's why on our church's website, if you go to our homepage, you'll find the gospel changes lives. The gospel changes lives because we believe the gospel changes lives. But the gospel central in it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and therefore you're resurrected. And so the second implication is your is that this preaching is in vain. And I'm not talking about whether or not I'm inspirational. I'm talking about the content of the preaching and the content of your message as emissaries of Christ. Third implication is that your faith is in vain. Now, this is frightening, folks. But Paul argues that your faith falls apart if the cross didn't lead to resurrection. And he doesn't just mean resurrection ethereally or disembodied souls. He means bodily resurrection of the dead. Faith is in vain. Your faith is futile, is how it's said in this passage. Futile. The Bible says in another book, it's by grace you are saved through faith. That your salvation is grace through faith. Martin Luther, the great reformer, was converted out of a passage in Romans. God used it. Romans chapter 1. That helped him to understand that he didn't have to climb stairs up and down to be saved, but that it was by faith that righteousness from Christ was credited to him. This is the gospel. And that faith is undermined if you deny the bodily resurrection of the dead and therefore implicitly deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you trade biblical doctrine for something more digestible to your senses, you wind up getting choked on the food Satan made you believe would go down your esophagus easy. That is the third implication. The fourth implication is like it. But it's a step further. Look at verse 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 15. We, and he means the apostles, which he's previously cited in this chapter, we are even found to be misrepresenting God. Misrepresenting God. The Greek word is pseudo-martyr. If you were to take it into English, it would be like pseudo or quasi-martyr. False martyr, false witness. You don't have to get too very far into the Bible to know that false witnesses in the economy of God are not, their, their fate does not, that doesn't end well. The Bible makes very clear that we're not to be false witnesses. If we can't be raised, then Christ shouldn't, and then therefore we are bearing false witness against God. We're preaching that this is his gospel when in fact it's not even true. 
And this misrepresentation of God that the apostles were preaching, and now that we preach, would put them under God's judgment. To give false witness is an offense against the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20.16 says, Deuteronomy 5.20, A false witness will not go unpunished. Whoever pours out lies will perish. Proverbs 19.5, Proverbs 19.9. God-fearing people like Paul and the other apostles could hardly be expected to knowingly give false testimony about God. The, the unbelief in the resurrection had implications for the validity of the apostles' message, but also the apostles as messengers. Since resurrection goes with this gospel, if they're preaching a gospel of resurrection and bodily resurrection isn't actually to be expected to happen, then it undermines the whole message of the Testament. And frankly, I think that's probably what's underneath at least the more sinister denials of the resurrection. Probably not those of us that are just trying to come to truth, but the more sinister denials. That's probably where it is. Implication number five. Implication number five. After linking Christ's resurrection to ours inextricably and the the vainness of preaching, the emptiness of faith, and the misrepresenting of God, the fifth implication that this text gives us when we deny bodily resurrection is that we are actually left in our sin, that you are left in your sin. And at first blush, you think, oh, okay, all right, whatever, left in my sin. But if you really dig biblically and theologically into what that means, if you think intertextually about what the message of God is to us by his word about being left in your sin, your faith is futile in the sense that your sins are still unatoned for. They're not covered. The, this passage says in verse 21 that death entered the human race by one man, and Genesis tells us that his name is Adam. And it says in verse 21 that, resur- that life comes to us by the resurrection of one man, and that is Jesus. And so in a sense, he's the last or the second Adam theologically. You can read Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21 to get more info on this, this train of thought from the Bible. But suffice to say here that just as certainly as you're sinners because the first man sinned, Adam means man, that's what Adam means in Hebrew, because the first man sinned, then just assuredly you're going to be resurrected because the last man or the second Adam lived a perfect life and rose from the dead. You'll rise too. His righteousness imparted to you, the miracle of his resurrection imparted to you also. Now admittedly, it's by faith right now because you haven't even died yet. But then again, when did we ever walk by sight and not by faith? I mean, that's what this is about, isn't it? I mean, you're all gathered around, gathered out this morning around something that is by faith. You can't really see it. And what, why, why else are we here? I mean, I know we gave you some stellar ink pens, but that's not why you came. We use kind of low-grade paper, too, to try to save money. So it's not the bulletins. You came at least, I think, and you may be seeking it, but many of you came because you found faith in Christ as resurrected from the dead. And I want you to leave today with just as much faith that you will rise from the dead. With just as much faith that this earthen tent, this thing is not a wash, that you were created in the very image of God and that he made you for a purpose even when you can't see it and that this thing matters. Your treatment of it matters. Your life inside of it matters. This thing matters. So we're not representing, misrepresenting God. The implication is, is that we would still be in our sins if resurrection isn't real. 
Charles Spurgeon said it like this. He said, if you've never felt yourself a sinner, never trampled under the law of God, never felt that you deserve to be cast into hell, I am afraid your faith is mere presumption and not the faith that looks to Christ. The purpose of the law in the Bible, the law is to convict us of our sin. It's a teacher. It's an educator to our hearts. Wow, I just can't make it up that mountain. I just, I just cannot be good enough to get to God. I just keep tripping up, whether it's in my deeds or my thoughts. I just can't get it right, and I can't get right. Yes, that's us. We can't get right. But we worship the one that is right. That's the gospel. See, he's a substitutionary atonement for our sins, to use fancy words. What that basically means, just in very simple English, is, is that Jesus died in your place. And he didn't do it in a way that a soldier would be able to do it on a, a noble battlefield in a far-off land for us here as Americans, although that would be noble. He did it in a way that no one else ever could or ever would be able to do because he, needed, he himself never sinned. And all of us have. This is the hugeness of not being under the weight of our sin. And the implication is that you still are if you deny your resurrection or you deny Christian resurrection. So feel the weight of being in your sin. And to be in sin is a very serious thing. It's really what the Bible's all about is how do we overcome the burden of our sin. If you ever read the second most popular book in the history of the English language, John Bunyan's famous work from prison, The Pilgrim's Progress, it's all about him getting rid of his burden of sin. How does he get rid of his burden of sin? Well, it's the same for us. You must feel the burden of sin before you set it aside. Now, this, for those of us that are a little bit screwed up in our doctrine, in our beliefs, in our thinking, and maybe we're, you know, just things are snapping into view a little bit this morning, but we have further to go. Here's the good news. Paul is writing to these believers at Corinth in the AD 50s, and thus to us, as if he believes that they're believers. As messed up as they were, as prone to wonder as they were, he writes to them as saints. He's calling them to live in light of their testimony. One of the ways that we know that he thinks they're saints is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, he lists this, this laundry list of vile sins, sexual sins and lion sins and slanderous sins and thievous sins, and he lumps them together and he says, you people that are in the church now, you used to be that. You're not that anymore. Such as were some of you, past tense. You used to be that. You're not that now. And he uses that to call them into the light of Christ and further out of the chains of sin. But this is a process, right? But he understands them to be redeemed, to be in the process. Now, if you've never received the gospel, then you're not redeemed, and you need to this morning. Others, if you have received the gospel, but you need to get right beliefs, good doctrine from the Word of God, and one of those right doctrines is the resurrection bodily of the dead. And the implications for not getting this good doctrine is to continue to believe wrong and therefore downstream from that behave wrong because the implications are undeniable. This passage tightly links resurrection with justification or salvation. So does Romans 4.25, where being made right in God's eyes or justification is about Christ's resurrection. It says Christ was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. 
So part of this being raised for our justification is him having been delivered for our trespasses. So I could go on about this implication of still being under your sin, but I'll, I'll stop there and just leave it with you and say, it's so important that you understand that without the resurrection of the dead, you are still under the weight of your sin. And oh, how you would feel that weight. I wish that you would, that you might be saved. Some of you don't know salvation because you don't know sin. You're just assuming that your sin is okay in God's eyes. Everybody does it. The Bible does say that everybody sins. The Bible also says that everybody that sins goes to hell. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you must receive Christ or there's no life. That sounds out of style and out of vogue, but I'm telling you the truth. It's always been the truth. It's still the truth, and it will be the truth until the day in which Christ consummates the kingdom that he inaugurated when he rose from the dead. You understand? He's conquered the grave, and in him we will too. That's what it means to be united with Christ or to have union with Christ. That's why we end a lot of our letters with in Christ, and then we'll write our name, because we have union with Christ. We're not in sin. We are in Christ. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep or those who have died, that you grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Christ, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. This we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, and the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive will be caught up together. The dead in Christ will rise first. Do you believe that the dead in Christ will rise? Or did the letter to Thessalonians get it wrong? You believe we get a glorious resurrected body, or did the letter to the Philippians get it wrong? Do you believe that just as Jesus was mourning the death of Lazarus and instructing Martha that he is the resurrection of the life, do you believe that we will be resurrected to life like Jesus said, or did Jesus get it wrong? The Gospel of John get it wrong. We're not under our sin. The sixth implication is that if you won't be raised and Christ is not raised, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ before us will have perished. They won't be raised. Now, I've already really taught on this, so I'm not going to say a whole lot more, but I'm going to try to use an illustration that Dr. Richard Pratt taught me that I think will help. He said, and I agree with this, I've heard it many times. He said, I go to funerals and I hear well-intentioned ministers point to an open casket and say, this body is not your friend. He's gone on to be with the Lord. And Dr. Pratt said, I think he's right, biblically, he said, I get the impulse of the minister that does that, but he said, who is that anyway? He said, who do we think is in the casket? When I look, I see the ravages of sin, but I still see my friend. I still see that bodily earthen tent. I see the work of the last enemy, death, because sin, when it's full grown, it ends in death, James says. I see a wrong in death that Jesus himself lived and died and was raised to set right. And I believe that my friend was immediately, him being a believer, immediately enjoying the presence of the Lord. But that doesn't mean that this body is unimportant. It's, it's not just a discardable, ex, a dis, discardable external thing. Our bodies resurrect. Our temporary separation from the body is a terrible tragedy of sin that Christ died to rectify. So believe. 
The body you will have will be similar, only better. No more body image issues, no more disease, no more pain. And I'd like to think I'll be able to dunk a basketball finally. But you know, I mean, the body that you have won't have issues. For all of eternity, we will enjoy life in bodies that will never grow old. This is, this is why we write this the whole hymnody, the cor- corpus of hymns that we have sings about this stuff. We sing, we sing, we sing. The body that you'll have will be far more amazing and glorious and powerful than the one you have now, but it will be connected with the one you have now in some meaningful way. Out of the ashes we rise. From dust we come from, from dust we return. We'll be resurrected from the dust. Or the bottom of the sea, if that's where we were buried. But God will pull it back together on that day. And we testify to faith when we testify that, yes, that's my friend. And he's, he's off with the Lord for now. But this thing's getting reunited one day. And whatever provisional body he's got now is not the final one. We are going to be known as we are known, only better. It's going to be good. So don't deny it. You know, give us uh, gospel comments to make at your funeral or if it make them if I go before you. But let's get today a right understanding of bodied souls, of resurrected life, so that when we go to funerals, we won't make the well-intentioned mistake that so many of our friends make and we've made ourselves. We won't see what God's doing. The implication of downplaying and denying the resurrection is messing up funerals. The seventh implication, the final one that this text tells us about, really is a summary of it all. Chapter 15, verse 19. Will you look at it with me? Chapter 15, verse 19. This is what it says. Seventh implication. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is the implication that he draws out. Is that without the resurrection, seventh implication, that you have hope only now. That's it. And really, this is why the therapeutic industry has triumphed to the neglect of biblical theological counseling in the last 20 years. It's not that therapy can't be helpful for trauma. It can be. And some of you work in the industry, and I'm not throwing shade at you. I'm simply saying that our Christian faith is a deeper answer than any therapy for this life's well-being only can ever provide. It conquers the grave. It gives us hope behind, but beyond rather what we experience right now. It gives meaning to our plight of suffering and pain. And if you let it, it answers our chief existential question. We, it's not that we don't need therapy. It's that we need this too. We need theology. We are the pitiable souls trying to preach that Christ offers hope and pitiable if it's only for this life. All that's left for me to do with you when we counsel the word is therapy. How do we do some judo move on our minds so that we don't suffer as bad right now? Friends, I'm going to tell you, it only gets worse in terms of suffering with this body. I mean, it ends with crossing the river, as they say. So I'm not here to try to counsel you out of the belief that we're going to die. I mean, Steve Jobs died. I mean, every single one of us, that's where we're going. Freeze your body, whatnot, clone yourself. At some point, we're going to die. God will not be mocked. We reap what we sow. And when we get to the end of this thing, we are going to face our mortality and Christ's immortality. And his immortality overcomes our immorality and ushers us into the kingdom. Believe in the resurrection of Christ, same as you believe in the resurrection of yourself in Christ. Receive his gospel. We have problems with hope. We have problems with hope. Clinton, Trump, 
they may be a footnote in history come 2033 at the two millennia commemorative celebration of Christ conquering the grave. I don't know. But we, by faith, will march on as saints, and we should share the gospel with all of those in high places that they might too. Ephesians tells us that sometimes high officials repent of their sin and trust in Christ, even the 11th hour. Read your Bibles because it talks about it. But we will be with Christ forevermore. That's the promise of the kingdom. We will not cheat death, but we also will not suffer in the second death. The Englishman William Cooper suffered a life filled with depression and doubt and borderline hopelessness, though he was a Christian. He was constantly tortured by the thought God hated him for his sins, and he had doubts. And not long before his death, on April the 25th, 1800, he wrote words that he expressed as he became aware of the efficacy of Christ's complete atonement for his sins. Complete atonement. Several years later, a man named Mason in America set the words to music, and we sing them these days. The title of the song is, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. Just listen to the first verse. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains, lose all their guilty stains, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. There is a fountain filled with blood. The the lyrics, the poem is rich. William Cooper was a man who needed the theology to go with the therapy, and God gave it to him in his neediest hour, his neediest hour. And toward the end of his life, he wrote words that emanated from a belief in the resurrection of the dead. Our seventh implication is that we are hopeless if our hope is only in this life. The seven implications can be turned in reverse. Listen to them this way. Say we believe in the resurrection of the dead with sincere faith that God has shown this to us. You're going to raise from the dead after you die. You're going to raise. You're going to be with Christ right after you die too. But you're going to get your final glorified body whenever Christ consummates his kingdom and finally judges those that have rejected him. So Christ is risen and you're going to rise. And so preaching is not in vain. It's full. Faith is full. We are rightly representing God when we talk to you about this gospel, including the resurrection of the dead, starting with Christ's resurrection. This text tells us that Christ is the first crop or the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead. And so we're telling you the truth that we have hope beyond only what can make us feel better in this life. Him we proclaim, Christ is raised from the dead. Christ and his church will rise again. Just as assuredly as Christ is risen, so will his believers, his church. Just like I read from Thessalonians. This is the gospel. The gospel is found in this passage in the last two verses. Listen to them afresh, and then we shall close. 1 Corinthians 15, 20, and 21. But... Oh, what a glorious word in the Bible. It means it's moving from the negative to the positive. Listen to the but. But fact, in fact, Christ, verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. After going into their implications and honoring their philosophical musings and their Greco-Roman thought, here's what he says. Christ has been. He's the first crop, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, who have died. For as by a man, Adam, came death, 
by a man, Christ, has come also the resurrection of the dead. Friends, I wish I could get you to believe it. I wish I could get you to believe it. You know, Tim Keller said that if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. And I think that's accurate. Colin Smith said of Judas, the betrayer of Jesus, he said, with Judas's eyes, he saw the clearest evidence. With Judas's ears, he heard the finest teaching. With his feet, he followed the greatest example. And yet Judas, this man, still betrayed Jesus. And a latecomer, relatively speaking, Simon the Cyrene, was compelled to carry Jesus' cross. I don't know, maybe you haven't had the clearest evidence. Maybe you haven't had the finest teaching in your life. Certainly none of us here walked with the incarnate Lord Jesus in the first century A.D. But, you know, even as a latecomer, you know, we can receive this gospel now, can't we? We've got enough to receive it, don't we? We've got the written witness that the apostles left us, don't we? Does it resonate with you? Are you compelled to this gospel? Receive this gospel as your own. I beckon you. I beg you. I call you. Because without it, you will not find eternal life in a resurrected, glorified body. There's only one name underneath heaven whereby you must be saved, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. It's not just an information issue or Judas would have been saved, friends. We walk with Jesus even as Johnny Latecomers. Our actions follow our beliefs, and I'm inviting you to believe the right things about Christ in your heart this morning and allow this Easter Sunday to move from the seven ifs of this passage to the factual truth of the last verses. But Christ has been raised from the dead, and therefore, I will be too. I will be too. That is the hope that you have if you... Embrace this miracle of resurrection with spirit-led, heartfelt, sincere belief. And it will lead you to right actions in your life. But more than that, it will give you hope beyond the grave. Would you bow your heads with me and pray? Dear Heavenly Father, I wish my words would be enough, but they won't be. Your word never returns void. Though, and I know that your spirit is pleased to do your work by your word in your people. So for every denier and smirker in this hearing, there is a sincere person, I imagine, that is hearing this and wondering, could this be for me? Could this be more than superstition? Could this help me with my hopelessness? Could this preaching lead to my faith? Could this remove the burden of sin from my back that I wouldn't be in it anymore? Could this be as good as it sounds? Oh, friend, taste and see that the Lord is good. God, guide them by your spirit to just know that they are and to receive this message as their own. Help them now and guide us as we walk in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Respond as the Lord directs you.